Hi everyone, this is Jeff Gibson. I just wanted to say a few things and give you a heads up about this episode before before it begins. And that is that sometimes uh, episodes like this are really good examples of how life doesn't go as smoothly as planned. The original idea of the podcast was, of this episode, was to review Guy Ritchie's latest action film, Operation Fortune. Except, uh, within a couple weeks before we were going to record this podcast, somehow, for some reason, that film was removed and disappeared from the release schedule. And with that movie, we were going to do our favorite action movies in the film phase segment so i gave shanna a couple different options one was to do a review of the outfit along with our favorite gangster movies or we could do a split recording with our favorite action movies still and do a review of the lost city the lost city would hit theaters the weekend before this podcast was supposed to release And so a split recording means that as per our schedule, especially Shannon's schedule allows, and also for time for editing, we would have to record the weekend review and film fave segments of the podcast one weekend and see The Lost City and review it another weekend. Well, we did just that. We recorded the weekend review and the film fave segment of our favorite action movies, allowing me over a week to edit that those segments. And then the idea was this past weekend we were going to go see The Lost City and record that review. However, on Thursday, once Shanna came home from work from out of town, she was notified that her boss was tested positive for COVID. And so, therefore, Shanna might have been exposed to COVID as a result. Which meant that she needed to quarantine for a number of days while constantly testing to see if she was positive for COVID. And since I'm changing jobs, I needed to be as safe as possible uh, because I couldn't come down with COVID when I was about to uh, start a new job. So I got put up in a hotel. And essentially, as a result, our plans for the following five days leading up to the day this episode was supposed to post just completely blew up. And so... As a result, we were not able to go see The Lost City. We were not able to review The Lost City yet. And we're left with just having a weekend review and film faves segment. So what I did was I tried to salvage the episode as much as I could with just those two segments. Uh, The episode may still make reference to a review of The Lost City. That does not happen in this episode. But our plan is to try to crank out a bonus episode sometime during the course of the week that reviews the lost city only so i apologize uh thank you very much for your grace and your patience and your understanding i hope you're able to find a lot of enjoyment out of our discussion about action movies and without any further ado here is our episode 
of our favorite action movies with a Week in Review segment. I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick off our love and joy of film. And with the week in review, what TV shows and movies we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review. And finish up with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around our particular topic. In this episode, we were going to review the latest Guy Ritchie movie, Operation Fortune. But that apparently got completely removed from the release schedule, like magic. And so we were scrambled to come up with a plan B. So what we're doing today, instead of a review of that film, we will be reviewing The Lost City, starring Sandra Bullock, and I believe it's Channing Tatum also in that, yeah? Yes, and Brad Pitt. Excellent. We see him in the trailer. Very good. And for film faves, we bounced around. We were like, okay, do we do favorite action movies as our original idea? Then we're like, okay, maybe we'll do the outfit and mob movies. Or we could do Lost City and action movies. Or we could do this. And we bounced out and we decided, sticking with action movies. Favorite action movies of all time. We'll talk more about what that includes later in the show. But first, the Week in Review. Shanna, as I understand it, you don't have anything prepared this time to talk about. That you've been watching on your own. Yeah, I've been busy with stuff, but I need a little more time to process what I've watched. So hopefully I have something great to talk about next week. Excellent. And myself, I have not really had any opportunities to watch much on my own. However, I I have started a new project that hopefully at the time you're listening to this will, if not be posted, will be available on the blog soon which is Tracy and Hepburn, a review where I go through all the Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn movies, which I think there's eight or nine of, and I review and rank them. Shanna, you have been watching these along with me at the time of recording. We're halfway through them, basically got through all of the more obscure, lesser known ones. And then we have all the best, better known ones to go through next you know we're talking adam's rib desk set guess who's coming to dinner and one other one what do you what do you think about where we're at so far in the movies that we have seen woman of the year uh without love stay of the union sea of grass and i think there's what keeper in the flame yeah so the lesser known ones there's three of those and it's not woman of the year uh, I think that State of the Union is the better one mm. out of the three that aren't known very well. Mm-hmm. And I actually mix... There's actually four, isn't there? Well, we've seen four, I believe, in total. And Women of the Year is the most celebrated, the first one that they started together. Uh, the other ones are not as well known. Yeah, I really like seeing them together. And right now we're kind of seeing the filmmakers playing with how we see them together. Hmm. And I am going to venture to guess that they realized that seeing them together as a happy 
couple or coming together and discovering each other in a happy way is mm. probably the way they keep going in the future because that's what plays better between the two the two actors. We see them also butting heads occasionally in, in future movies that we're, we're about to watch. But and not in a destructive way. No, no. Just I think I think what you're getting at is their movies are best when they get to be in scenes together for majority of the film. The chemistry between them is excellent, and when one of them is removed for a significant amount of time in a film, it really affects the quality and the enjoyment of the film. Yeah, I think there's one film where we didn't see Catherine Hepburn until, what, 20 minutes later? Yeah, uh, it the felt keeper, like an hour. <laughs> no, yeah, the keeper of the flame. It's like I think I clocked it at thirty minutes before Catherine Hepburn enters the film. But then there's also the Sea of Grass, where she's gone for a third of the film. Yeah, and then in the beginning we don't see Spencer Tracy until later. Mm, so mm. it's very odd. Not seeing them together is not what we want. Mm. And when we watched State of the Union, I felt okay, good, we're getting back on track here. Even though there's yeah. like a conflict between the two of them, we see them trying to figure it out. I think also, I, I agree with you about State of the Union. I think also that's a Capra film, and that was not an early Capra film. That was one of his last films. So he, he knew what he was doing at this point, and he, he was able to make something fun, interesting, enjoyable out of, of that material. Uh, so it's been interesting. If you want to learn more, if you want to get dig a little bit deeper, check out my article that should be on the blog any moment now if it's not already. Tracy and Hepburn, a review at thegibsonreview.com. Next, I thought maybe, Shanna, you might be interested. I have a whole docket of concert movies or, or, or rock docs. <laughs> that I've been trying to get through and find time to get through. And I thought maybe, Shanna, you might be interested in watching one of those. It is Pink, What I Know So Far. I think it dropped in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, and I was very excited about it. I'm a fan of Pink. She's one of my favorite pop stars. And Shanna, you are fairly fond of her yourself as well, yeah? Yeah, I don't tie myself to a one musician. Uh, I'm married to scores. So if I... <laughs> you are a polyamorous audiophile. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like commitment with regards to this. Uh, but I am fond of Pink. I like who she is as a person. And this was a really great exploration of that. Well, share a little bit more of what you thought of my life so far. So it takes place on tour. I think it's happening in 2019. Yeah, this seems the, to be. Before the world yes. shuts down. Yes. And which is really nice and kind of odd to see because you see seas of people yeah. uh, in a concert. Like, it's not unusual. Right. But it kind of feels weird after not having that for so long. And they're on tour. It's Pink, her husband, her two children, who I believe are maybe one and a half or two. And then... Uh, six? Well, there's one that's got to be at l least two because he talks. Okay. You know, he's got to be two or three. And then, uh, and he walks and everything. And then you have one, another one who's got to be closer to like 10 years old. 
I didn't get that, but okay. Jeff's going to look it up. <laughs> I sure will. <laughs> We're going to see who gets to prove who wrong. And so basically, we get to see Pink and her immediate family and her her circus family, really, her tour family, uh, go on this tour from, I guess... We're seeing them start in Europe, and they show you a map of how the tour is going to work. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's a world tour. Yeah, and then the film ends in London, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun at the Wembley Stadium. I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was great to follow her around and hear her different insights and hear how, you know, there's this one thing that she says her two-year-old, I think, is giving her such a hard time as two-year-olds do and she looks at her two-year-old and then she looks at the documentarian and she's like everybody says pink is so awesome because she doesn't eat shit for breakfast i eat shit every day all the time from her two-year-old and i just thought that that was really really amusing and and fun so it seems like i was closer to accurate willow i like how you said that (laughs) willow is her firstborn and so at the time of this, she's like eight or nine years old. Oh, okay. And Jameson is her second. And at the time of this, he's like two or three years old. Okay. It was really fun seeing how her family functions on tour, basically taking her family with her to work. It looked like there was a really great balance. It looked like there were times that were tough and there were moments where she had to lay down the law with the kids or had to, you know, she was having meetings with stage crew and that was very interesting. Mm. I really liked the process. I liked seeing behind the scenes with her in particular. I would welcome another documentary like this five years from now. I want to see how she's dealing with teenagers, you know, or preteens. Yeah, so I don't think that this is a movie or a documentary that is going to necessarily turn anyone into a a pink fan who isn't one already necessarily or provide a lot more insight into who pink is and everything. This isn't a full in-depth biographical documentary. As you said, it really focuses on this period of time doing this during this tour. For some reason, it's like got this ticking clock almost towards the Wembley concert. And this is the one of the few things I don't think necessarily was that effective about it. Like the significance of that con- that particular concert wasn't very strongly felt. It, it didn't necessarily have any purpose to why are we ticking why are we counting down to that particular concert um or or what have you this is also not a concert movie where you don't get a whole lot of concert time right this is not intended to be just showing you the entire concert or anything it's really more of a behind the scenes look at that tour and and you do get a little bit of the philosophy of pink as a parent and someone who does this kind of work and and how she perceives or what her philosophies are. So I enjoy it. I definitely enjoy it. I'm a, I'm a Pink fan, obviously, so it's hard not to enjoy it. Being a fan of Pink, you hear her read fan mail. You get a little better sense of her husband, Carrie, 
who seems like just like an A-plus dude. Yeah, really supportive, knows when to step in, knows when to step back, and yeah. it's pretty easygoing. Yeah. It's a really great depiction of what a spouse could be. Yeah, so I think that it's worth checking out if you even remotely like Pink's music. I give the documentary probably a 7 out of 10. Oh, I give it an 8. My mom checked this out after we talked about it, and she just gushed all over the place about how much she loves Pink, and she just loves Willow. So it was Mm -hmm. really, really fun. Yeah, Willow's pretty awesome. All right, so lastly in the Week in Review, in our Week in Review... We caught up with Pixar's latest release, uh, or I should say Disney Plus's latest release, Turning Red. This is an animated film that is about a kind of a preteen, early teens girl. I think she's like 13 years old. And all of a sudden, she turns into a red panda. Oh, I'm sorry, but it's a giant red panda. It is a very... It's not just the red panda you get to see at the zoo and geek out about. This is true. This is true. So this is directed by Domi Shi, who I believe was the director of the Pixar short film... Bao. Bao. Thank Bow. you. Yes, about the dumplings. Yes. Well, and also about letting go of your children and trusting them to make the right decisions. Not a lot of recognizable names provide the voices here. Sandra Oh is probably the most recognizable name here. We have Waishin Ho. Rosalie Chion uh, plays Mylene, the main character. And also you have a bit part by James Hahn, the legendary great James Hahn. I was very excited to hear Sandra O's voice. I was like, yes, I want Sandra O's voice to be my mother voice. I love it. I thought she was so perfectly cast. So, as, as well as the grandma. So tell me more about your thoughts on turning red. It's very difficult to call this turning red as opposed to just red panda. It's <laughs> very hard. <laughs> okay, I... Love this film. I've watched it twice already. I've watched the making of it as well, which is a is about 45, an hour long uh, documentary. Normal Pixar, let's give you all the info kind of scenario. I love what they're addressing in Turning Red. This is about a teenage girl about to become a woman. And she's trying to embrace that rather than be afraid of it. She's a little mortified about what's happening to her body and her mind mm-hmm. and everything. And, and she's scared about what's going to happen with her relationship with her, her mother in particular. And it's all legitimate fears and concerns. She also wants to really embrace things that her mother isn't into, like the four-town pop band with five members in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, why didn't they just make her five? <laughs> But there's a lot of fun references in here, like Tamagotchis, the Four Town, which I bet is basically a, a reference to Insync. Well, it, it reminded me of O Town. Wasn't O Town? Who the hell is O Town? I'll look it I up. I don't know who that is. I knew Backstreet and I knew Insync, and I knew maybe one Brit band. O Town. Oh, Westworld. What? Not Westworld. West. West Side. <laughs> oh, that sounds so bad. But anyway, O Town. American boy band from the first season of a reality series making the band in 2000. 
Anyway. Is like the most prefab of prefab <laughs> pop bands. Yeah. Okay. I don't know who they are. I don't think they came to South Africa. I don't think they made it. But, you know, pushing the the boy band stuff aside, this is such a great girlfriend movie. The, rela- the friendships that are happening between the four girls is so beautiful and so pure and just makes me want to cry all the time because they're just so loving and supportive of each other. Mm. Each of those characters are very different. I absolutely love all the characters. They're all varied. They all have little different moments that let them shine and they're very brief and very fast. I like how the school responds to the red panda. I think that it's all really great. I love the color palette. It's very pink and loving and i love how all the women in this film come together in some way at certain times mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i want the merchandise i'm hoping that comic-con this year is going to have a lot of artwork mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure i will so first of all we should make clear this this movie takes place in 2002 i don't think that was made clear before in Canada, I, in Can- Toronto, yes, that that's true. I feel like this is a movie where all the separate parts are greater than the whole. I think there's a lot of important stuff that's depicted here that is is great for representation and so many other things. I think it's great to see the cast of characters that we see depicted it's great to see the family life that we see depicted i think it's great to see the themes of a particular era that a particular group or generation if you will of girls will relate to being depicted i think it's great that there is a heavy animated anime influence in so, so much of this movie of how characters' feelings about things are animated. But I'm not sure on the whole it all adds up to a great story on par with Top Shelf Pixar. I kind of feel like Turning Red is mid-tier Pixar. It's not, It's we are in no way, we're talking definitely above the quality of things like Cars and some of their sequels. But this is not Inside Out. This is not Toy Story 2 or 3. You know, it's somewhere in between that spectrum. So uh, I think it's fun. I think a lot of women will love it. I think a lot of kids will love it and enjoy it. And I think there is a, a, a sense of embracing of this film. But I give it a 7 out of 10 overall. Shanna, I'm curious, are you at all bummed that this movie didn't get released in theaters? And do you think it would have had a bigger influence had it been so? It should definitely have been released in theaters. It's a giant panda. It should be on a giant screen. Fair enough. It's a Pixar film. It's a beautiful film. I think it's fantastic as a whole. I disagree with you completely. And I think it would have been it would have played really well and would have brought people into the theater. Absolutely. What do you give it out of 10? Nine. Wow. Among the greatest films ever made or put to animation. 
turning red is. I feel like we're gonna fight <laughs> <laughs> off mic. <laughs> no, it's all good. Okay, so、uh, those are our thoughts of turning. That's what you think. <laughs> wow. All right.、Uh, those are our thoughts of turning red, and that completes our weekend review, which completes the weekend review. Now it's time for film faves, our respective lists、uh, of twelve favorite movies around a particular topic. Film faves is a segment that we do in almost every episode of the Movie Lovers, inspired by a feature that used to be on the Gibson Review, wherein I count down to twelve favorite movies. The idea is to hopefully give you an idea of our taste in film, but hopefully, more importantly, expose you to some movies you have not seen or heard of before. To that end, we will let you know if these movies are accessible. On certain streaming platforms, we focus on Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus, and is that all of them? Yeah, I always think there's more. I always think there's more. Anyway, so those five or six、uh, streaming platforms. Okay, so action movies. This is a big genre. Right, this is like trying to tackle favorite comedies or whatever because this this is a genre that has subgenres. It's something that can bleed into other genres. So, in order to really focus this list, what we did was we weeded out all science fiction and fantasy films and all superhero movies. And we're we're left with what is left. All you know, there was a time when sci-fi and superhero films did not dominate theaters. You had these straightforward action franchises that dominated theaters. You know, you had your Beverly Hills Cops, you had your Die Hard, your Lethal Weapons, and that ilk. You know, and now the closest things you have to that is like the Fast and Furious series. You know, the John Wicks. Those kinds of films. So we're we're taking in consideration primarily those sorts of films. Martial arts movies are also included, and you'll get an idea for, through our list of what what this is beyond what I just explained. Shanna, what was the experience of building this list like for you? This was definitely tricky because I found that a lot of my favorite action movies on Flickchart are superhero and sci-fi. On the first twenty films, I believe there were only three that were strictly action, and I think one of them was action comedy. So there's this other way to break down on Flickchart what kind of action you want to look at: action、mm. comedy, action, and. Uh, then I think there's something else, but it was interesting. Once I weeded through all of the, I have to eliminate this. I have to eliminate that. I found some stuff, and that was pretty fun. And I remembered, oh yeah, there's other things that exist beyond sci-fi, <laughs> zombies, and superheroes. You're right. They do break it down from action as a, as a, in general to action comedy and action thriller. In my research, I. I did not break that down. Obviously, action comedies and action thrillers count, but I didn't、um, actually look that deep into it. B- 
because for me, I had a wealth of action films to choose from, to, and I had a hard time knocking it down to 12. Hopefully, I'll be able to speak to a little bit of that at the end of our segment here. Um, but yeah, it is an embarrassment of riches, more or less. I myself have seen over 500 movies that Flickchart considers to be action. If you take out the sci-fi and the superhero stuff, I'm sure it's probably half that. But still, 35 to 40 years of action movies that I've gotten to grow up with and see is quite a bit. So... Let's get right on into it. I'm very curious if any of the iconic action films made your list and what sort of surprises you have in store. What is your 12th favorite action film? My number 12 is True Lies. And I got introduced to this film from 1994 when we were playing one of those Senate games. Where they really? Had, yeah, that was the first time I got introduced to this, and then we watched it afterwards. Crazy. Uh, it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. What a fun duo. Who would have thought? A fearless, globe-trotting, terrorist-battling secret agent, Jeepers, has his life turned upside down when he discovers his wife might be having an affair with a used car salesman while terrorists smuggle nuclear warheads into the United States. So it sounds absolutely ridiculous, and I think that it's supposed to be because it's kind of riffing on spy films, kind of riffing on, like, James Bond, and it has a lot of fun moments in there. But if you want a good laugh and you enjoy action films and spy films, this is the one for you, True Lies. Yeah, yeah, it literally is not available for streaming, and it's always had, like, it doesn't even have a Blu-ray release. It's It's got, like, it's notorious for having just a bare-bones DVD release, so, you know, you pretty much have to hunt that down on eBay. It is worth a blind buy. My 12th favorite is from 1988. It is available to stream. You can find it on Netflix. It is... Crocodile Dundee 2. Now, a lot of people love the first Crocodile Dundee from, I believe, 1985. And that is a good film. And it has the classic, that's not a knife, this is a knife scene, and and so many other things. It's a great fish-out-of-water thing, and it made Paul Hogan a star. But I have always enjoyed more Crocodile Dundee 2. Too, which we've talked about in previous episodes. You bring up the opening sequence where he's on a boat out, out on New York Harbor and he's using dynamite to fish and stuff. And um, I'm just saying, if, if any other person had been doing that, they, they would have been arrested. Well, yeah, that's why the Coast like, Guard's there. And then they realize, oh, right it's just by Nick. a national monument. Right. There's absolutely no way. <laughs> that's right. So they're like, oh, it's just Mick. It's all good. Oh so anyway, so in this movie, it takes them back to Australia because there's much to do about a, a Colombian drug lord who is very well played. I actually like that that actor who plays the villain in the film. And you get some fun sequences with this drug cartel trying to hunt down Mick Dundee in his backyard. Yeah, and, and so anyway, I love uh, Crocodile Dundee too. It's my 12th favorite action film. It's available on Netflix. My number 11 is John Wick from 2014. It is not available to stream, but you can rent it on Apple. Wow, it's not available to... St- it's not, not on a streaming service? Not this one. Crazy. An ex-hitman 
Keanu Reeves, comes out of retirement to track down the gangsters that killed his dog and took everything from him. Now, I do not like watching movies where the dog dies, and I am a big fan of DoesTheDogDie.com. And this is a film I'm okay with because it's a little... It's it's upsetting, but then John Wick goes completely apeshit fucking bananas and kills all the people that are related to the death of his dog. And it's just so sexy and, you know, makes me want to ask Keanu Reeves to pose for, I don't know, anti-animal cruelty or something. <laughs> just pose with puppies. Like a PETA campaign. Uh, is yeah, what yeah. And it'll pose as John Wick. It'll be great, <laughs> you know. Uh, I really enjoy this film. A lot of it is happening in the dark, so they're playing a lot with different colors and gels. That is my number 11, John Wick with Keanu Reeves. My number 11, you'll notice a lot of sequels in my list, a lot of action sequels, and we're going to continue that here with my 11th pick from 1995, also available on Netflix. It is Desperado, the sequel to Robert Rodriguez's debut, El Mariachi. Former musician and gunslinger El Mariachi arrives at a small Mexican border town after being away for a long time. His past quickly catches up with him as he soon gets entangled with the local drug kingpin, Bucho, and his gang. This movie is badass. It has an awesome cast. That includes Antonio Banderas, Salma Hayek, Joaquin de Almeida, who you may hear about in a future pick of mine, Cheech Marin, Steve Buscemi, Carlos Gomez, Quentin Tarantino, Danny Trejo, who actually kind of looks a little young in this movie, if you can believe that, and more. This film is just pure badass awesomeness. The way the action is shot, I mean, it's, it's, it is one of those where you're walking away from an explosion without looking back kind of thing, but it's great stuff. Love Desperado. Mm. And you can check it out on Netflix. Yeah, we recently watched that, and that was a lot of fun. My next one is from 2017, Revenge. Never take your mistress on an annual guy's getaway, especially one devoted to hunting. A violent lesson for three wealthy married men. I don't know if this is the best (laughs) description. It makes me feel like, oh, the woman's not into hunting. Like, I don't know. Well, she wasn't, right, at the beginning of the movie? I didn't. I don't remember that. Oh yeah. No. Oh okay. Yeah. This is a really great film, uh, French film, I believe, and it's very saturated and punchy colors. There's a lot of orange and blue being used, which is a lot of fun, and it is a very satisfying movie. It is exactly what it says: revenge. And I cannot recommend this movie enough. Matilda Lutz is the star. Yes, of Matilda that film. is amazing. Indeed, that is a great pick. My 10th favorite action film is my one Michael Bay pick, I believe. You have, oh, I guess I should have thought of this. I looked at our Criterion collection and I was like, I don't think we have any action movies. And I guess I just blew right through it. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> it is 1996's The Rock. Available on Amazon Prime. This stars, of course, Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris, David Morris, William Forsyth, John Spencer, 
Michael Bean, Vanessa Marcel, John C. McGinley, Gregory Sporletter, Tony Todd, Bokeem Woodbine, Steve Harris. So many people get at least bit parts in this movie. And it is awesome. It is about a mild-mannered chemist and an ex-con who must lead the Counter-Strike when a rogue group of military men led by a renegade general threaten a nerve gas attack from Alcatraz against San Francisco. This is Michael Bay's best film by far. And Ed Harris as General Hummel is an excellent action villain. And he's one who really believes in what he's doing. He has a cause and he may have a line that he will not cross in what he's doing. He's fantastic. Love it. The Rock from 1996. Check it out on Amazon Prime. My next one is Hot Fuzz from 2007. Director Edgar Wright and starring Simon Pegg, one of my favorite, Nick Frost, Martin Freeman. Simon Pegg seems to be in a few fun action and action sci-fi films. Mm. That seems to be a thing for him, at least during this period. A skilled London police officer, after irritating supervisors with his embarrassing effectiveness, is transferred to a village where the easygoing officers object to his fervor for regulations Mm -hmm. as a string of grisly murders strikes the town. This is a lot of fun. It's kind of one of those nice films about a character that's having a hard time, like just taking it down a notch. Mm -hmm. And I, I quite like it. That is Hot Fuzz. Very cool. My number nine, I think, is our first overlap. It is True Lies from 1994. Ah. It is a James Cameron film. It is one of James Cameron's lesser-known films. I would say This and the Abyss gets forgotten most out of all of his films. But it is James Cameron doing a comedy, and, of course, he's going to do that as an action film. And I think I agree with everything you said about the the film. I think it is a lot of fun. It is great set pieces, really great action. It does kind of tease a little bit the spy film and also Schwarzenegger's persona at this point. It's just fantastic. True Lies from 1994 is my ninth favorite action film. Yippee, my next one is available on Hulu from 2016, The Nice Guys. Director Shane Black. I really wish this would get a sequel. It stars Russell Crowe, Ryan Gosling, and they are really a great combo on screen. Uh, In the 1970s LA, a mismatched pair of private eyes investigate a missing girl and the mysterious death of a porn star. Now, you had asked me, is that really an action film? And I say yes. There is a crazy scene in the start of the film that is totally action-packed. And then later, at the climax of the film, we have a lot of different big action movement Mm. things happening. Mm -hmm. So yes, this totally falls in there. It's that whole like buddy cop Mm-hmm. In this case, Buddy P.I. kind of thing. And it's happening in L.A. where all the action happens. <laughs> I love that movie, and I agree. I really wish there was a sequel to that that film. And it's unfortunate that there wasn't. I think it's a, it was a grower. It was one that really needed the streaming and video market uh, to be discovered. And unfortunately, that just doesn't help often with the box, mar- box office. 
so my eighth favorite is a directorial debut. I don't know if it came up in our last list or not, but it is from 1994. It's available on HBO now. It is Speed as Jean de Bon's directorial debut. Of course, about the bus that cannot go slower than 50 miles an hour without blowing up. Keanu Reeves is the cop who is entangled in the scenario. Dennis Hopper plays the madman behind it all. Sandra Bullock is an innocent who helps lead the group of innocents on the bus. Joe Morton, Alan Ruck, Jeff Daniels also all star. And and Beth Grant, character actress Beth Grant has a piece. A part in it. This movie is like a perfect action film. It has one of the best trailers also. A very well edited trailer. It has a great catchphrase of, you know, what do you do? Pop quiz, hotshot, what do you do? All that sort of stuff. It's a blast. Love speed. It is excellent. And you can check it out if you haven't lately on HBO Now. All right, my next one's available on HBO as well from 2021, Nobody, starring Bob Odenkirk. That's the guy from uh, Breaking Bad Mm -hmm. and Better Call Saul. He is great in this. A docile family man slowly reveals his true character after his house gets burgled by two petty thieves, which coincidentally leads him into a bloody war with a Russian crime boss. So it is a lot of fun. It's a little slow going, not like slow as in when is the next thing going to happen, but like we slowly have this reveal of who he really is. And it is so much fun. It is so funny. There are a lot of funny moments and it's a really cool kick-ass dad movie. Mm -hmm. So that's nobody on HBO. My seventh is Kill Bill, available on HBO Max as well from 2003 and 4, split into two releases because of its length. It is the ultimate revenge film. It is also the ultimate love letter to Asian cinema. You have a bit of the martial arts films. You have a little bit of the... Uh, revenge what, what do they call it like lady snowblood um revenge type movie where you have the spurting blood when a limb is cut off that sort of thing you have a love you know it includes anime all sorts of aspects of asian martial arts cinema i think there's even like you could you could argue there's the even the um With uh, each perspective a better tomorrow type yakuza type uh, asian action film is is in this film it is the ultimate action revenge film, and I love it. The cast list is too long to name, but it is worth every minute. That's Kill Bill, my seventh favorite. And this, by the way, this is the first one we're getting into my 100th uh, favorite movies of all oh, time. Oh, that's exciting. Good. On this list, too. Go check it out on HBO now. Mine's from 2006. It is Mission Impossible 3, available on Prime. Yippee. It turns out I love a lot of action films that are the third sequel. So we'll see what else those are. Interesting. Rush Hour 3, maybe? 
What? Oh, I forgot that existed. <laughs> Sheepers. IMF agent Ethan Hand comes into conflict with a dangerous and sadistic arms dealer who threatens his life and his fiance in response. This is J.J. Abrams' directorial, directorial debut. I think it got mentioned in the previous list. So here it is again. Tom Cruise, Michelle Monaghan, and uh, Vin Rames, and a lot of other people. It's a really fun Mission Impossible film. I need to watch it again maybe i'll go watch that tonight who knows <laughs> that is mission impossible 3 on prime excellent awesome pick from that franchise my next pick is a one-off as we get into the halfway point of this list it is also in my 100 great 100 favorite movies of all time it is 2011's hannah starring saoirse ronan kate blanchett eric bana and more this is directed by Joe Wright, about a 16-year-old who was raised by her father to be the perfect assassin. She is dispatched on a mission across Europe, tracked by a ruthless intelligence agent and her operatives. It has a killer score by the Chemical Brothers and uh, is just a, it's such a cool, rich rich action film it might be the richest action film in terms of metaphor and meaning and uh, so many other things uh, in it and Saoirse Ronan is I, I never would have saw looked at Saoirse Ronan but like yes action star and she she actually is perfect in this so Hannah I know there's a tv show I still have to catch up with that one and see how I like it being a fan of the movie here but it is my sixth favorite action film and you can, chat, you can hunt it down sometime. My next one I have mentioned before from 2012. It's not available to stream anywhere. It's very sad. Uh, 21 Jump Street. When I went to go watch this with my friends, I really thought we were going to go watch something very idiotic and lame. But it is amazing and hilarious and funny and just riffing on action films and buddy action films. It's so much fun. It stars Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum, and Ice Cube. Ice Cube is great. He's one of the best parts of this mm -hmm. film. And uh, it's just super fun. A pair of underachieving cops are sent back to a local high school to blend in and bring down a systematic drug ring. It is so great. I highly recommend it. 21 Jump Street. Awesome. Yeah, one of the best action comedies for sure. My fifth favorite... Is a part of a franchise you have mentioned on your list, but not the same entry. It is 2018's Mission Impossible Fallout. Easily in, in a fairly solid action franchise. One of my favorite franchises when we did the franchise list a few episodes back. This is the, the, the crown jewel, as far as I can tell. Barely outshines the other entries. It stars, of course, Tom Cruise... But also Henry Cavill, Vin Rames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Sean Harris, Vanessa Kirby, Angela Bassett, uh, Michelle Monaghan, Wes Bentley, and Alec Baldwin. That is quite the cast for an action film like this. Christopher McQuarrie directs again. It is about a race against time after a mission gone wrong. Check it out. If you can, that is Mission Impossible Fallout. All right, my next one is something you mentioned earlier from 2003, Kill Bill. 
Again, to remind you, it's on HBO. This is such a fantastic film. This was, again, another experience for me where I was like, oh, my cousins want to watch this movie. It's probably going to be really stupid. And it was freaking amazing. And I was hooked. And when Kill Bill Volume 2 came out, you had to be 16 to watch it. And I I just turned 15. And so the person looked at me and it was one of those... uh, you know, movie ticket guys that were there since the beginning of time. So they've seen you since you were like 10. And he was like, how old are you? And I was like, uh, 15 and three quarters. <laughs> it was like so lame and silly. And luckily I got in because everybody else was tall and they looked like they belonged there. You know, you've read a little bit about it. You've shared a little bit about it. I guess I will talk about the brilliant cast. We've got Uma Thurman, who is absolutely amazing. Daryl Hannah, uh, Lucy Liu is just fantastic in this. Julie Julie Dreyfus, and uh, do you want to mention anyone else that you love? Oh, it's such a long list, man. (laughs) Michael Parks is awesome, of course. Uh, Chiaki Kuriyama, who plays Gogo Yabari. Come on. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of people in this. That's just fantastic. All right. Cool. What's your one? My fourth favorite is, I guess, my one John Carpenter pick. It is uh, from 1986, goody. Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Speaking of action films that riff other action films. Yes, and turns it on its head instead of the 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 uh, buff, white, mulleted, action male he, he being the hero he's actually the doofus and all the asians are actually the heroes in this and they know what's up and they kick ass this is a film that stars kurt russell kim cattrall dennis dunn as wayne chi james hong victor Wan. love those two uh kate burton donald lee and more star in this just really cool and imaginative action film. It's about a, a trucker and his sidekick facing off with an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. So imaginative and and, and riffs on. It, 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 they wanted it to be a movie that honored you know Chinese uh, martial arts and wuxia films, and it's it's uh, it's a really awesome pulpy film. So that's Big Trouble in Little China from 1986 as my fourth favorite action film so here comes another third sequel favorite of mine die hard with a vengeance from 1995 and available on prime john mccain and a harlem store owner who is samuel l jackson so wonderful are targeted by german terrorist simon in new york city where he plans to rob the federal reserve building This is such a great film. The first, I don't know, 30 minutes of it is just like, wait, what? And it just really makes me stop and be like, oh, my God, what is going to happen? And as I watch the film, I typically forget how what the beats are. And it's like a surprise for me every time. Uh, The bad guy is Jeremy Irons. So that is Die Hard with a Vengeance on Prime. Go watch, go watch, go watch now. So funny that your third favorite action film of all, of all time is a number three in a franchise. Yes. <laughs> My third favorite action film 
is potentially my favorite James Bond film. I'm going to eventually put this to the test later this year when I go through all the James Bond films. Oh, you can do that project all by yourself. I know. All uh, by yourself. I know. But I'll, I will go through all the James Bond movies and rank them and everything. So we'll find out for sure if this is actually my favorite James Bond film of all time in actuality. It is Goldeneye from 1995, available on Amazon Prime. This is Pierce Brosnan's first crack at James Bond and his best, directed by Martin Campbell. Years after a friend and fellow double O agent is killed on a joint mission, a Russian crime syndicate steals a secret space-based weapons program. Say secret space-based three times fast. (laughs) Known as Goldeneye, and James Bond has to stop them from using it. It stars Sean Bean... Isabella Scorpico, Fomka Janssen, Joan Don Baker. This is the first turn of Judy Dench as M. You also have Robbie Coltrane, who a lot of people know better as Hagrid from Harry Potter, and Alan Cumming. This film has some of the best James Bond villains, as far as I can remember, and some of the best Bond girls, some of the best uh, locations, uh, you know, set pieces, and some of the best action. I love it so much. It's always been a favorite of mine of the James Bond franchise, and you can check it out on Amazon Prime. It is my third favorite action film. Shanna, there are two left. What What is your second favorite action film of all time? It's a number three, Lethal <laughs> Weapon, from 1992. It is my second favorite. What? Okay, so it's available on HBO, which is great. Uh, this was the first Lethal Weapon film I watched, and I think that's Same. just fine, because it is perfect. <laughs> it is so great. It is the best one of the franchise. Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh pursue a former LAPD officer who uses his knowledge of police procedure and policies to steal and sell confiscated guns and ammunition to local street gangs. There's so much that they're dealing with in this movie. I mean, it's kind of touching on police brutality, but it's also touching on police killers. So it's kind of this nice contrast pool and push and pull and I I love the humor of course that uh, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson have and Joe Pesci is in there of course Rene Russo and uh who is the psychologist is that who is oh, the psychologist uh, let me Mary Ellen Trainer. yes god I love her so much and I think it's either this one or the next one where she's just had it with them. I think yeah. in the next one she's had it with them, but here she's kind of like wearing thin. Yeah. Uh, on for her sure. patience and care. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just really, I love seeing Mel and Danny play off of each other. It's a lot of fun and I, I love it. And Stuart Wilson plays the villain. Stuart Wilson would also be a villain in The Mask of Zorro, which I thought about for this. Darlene Love, the legendary Darlene Love, of course, plays Murtaugh's wife. You know, I don't know if I would say this is the best Lethal Weapon movie. It is far from the worst, but it is the most fun. You know, I had the same experience. It was my first one. Of course, you kind of feel like you're supposed to know the characters by now, which you are. It's the the third film, so it's a little weird as an entry point. But I adore this film so much. It, it, It actually, if you go by my 100 favorite movies of all time, it technically would be my favorite action film of all time, but it didn't quite feel right 
naming it's hard to name your favorite action movie of all time you will attest to this next what do, what, do, <laughs> do you want to are guess? you comfortable are you comfortable what your favorite oh. action movie of all time is yeah totally can i okay so you want me to, i have it's not beverly hills cop i have no idea because you already named die hard you already named lethal weapon and those are pretty high that like yeah. i love those yeah i seriously am blanking on what it could possibly be you already mentioned john wick what is it it's lethal weapon four Oh, I'm oh, just kidding. Sake. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, get out of here. Come on. No, but what is it? What, what is your <laughs> it was favorite? so much fun, you guys. His head whipped around. It was great. Okay, so it's Spy. Oh, of yeah, course. From 20... <laughs> yeah, this has come from up on 2015. It's always there. It didn't make like my ultimate favorite. So anytime there's an opportunity to throw it in, I do. Uh, this is... Guys, this is like my favorite. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. It's it's also, it's like poking fun at spy films, but from a female perspective. So it's really fun. Desk bound, Melissa McCarthy, CII agent, volunteers to go undercover to infiltrate the world of deadly arms dealer and prevent diabolical <laughs> global disaster. <laughs> uh, it's directed by Paul Fegan. I think this is one of his bests. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. And Rose Byrne, Jude Law, Miranda Hart is fantastic. I see some of her stuff coming up on BBC, uh, but I don't have the Brit Box, so I can't watch that. And then, of course, you can't have an action film that pokes fun at spies and action films if you don't have Jason Statham. And so that's, Statham, a, yeah. that's a really great addition. And we also have Alison Janney in there and uh, a bunch of other people. And it's just, it's so funny. I love it so much. I watch it every year for my birthday month. I should have known. Can you guess what my favorite action film of all time well, is? I was going to say Buckaroo Banzai, but you said it doesn't qualify because sci-fi. Right. That is um, a sci-fi film, yes. Yeah, I'm not really sure what's going to be at the top of your list. I'm sure it's going to make sense when you say it. We have had four on our list that are the that overlap. True Lies, Kill Bill, Lethal Weapon 3, and this is it Die Hard? Is it Die Hard Three? Action ah, film is it? of all time. Is it? I am comfortable <laughs> with saying Die Hard with a Vengeance yes. from 1995 is my favorite action film. I will. I'm totally fine with that. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, yes, this Yay. is. You know, you could just watch Die Hard and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Be done with the franchise. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. You don't really need Die Hard Two. And you sure as hell don't need the ones that came after this one, honestly. Because also, this film actually follows directly after, in a way, the first film, right? It's the only one that actually is significant in any, in any serialized way. And Jeremy Irons is awesome. Oh my gosh, it's so ridiculous and fun. I mean, between this and... Lion King. Forget his dramatic work. Like, these are the best performances of Jeremy Irons' career. He's just awesome. And Sam Jackson, he was a rising star at this point. He had uh, Pulp Fiction the year before, and he was a bit part in Jurassic Park the year before that, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, anyway, this movie is a blast, and it is everything I look for in an action film. It's got the humor, it's got the set pieces, it's got the well-choreographed action. It's it's thrilling. It's everything. 
Die Hard with a Vengeance, my favorite action film from 1995, available on Amazon Prime. Now, Shanna, were there any that you had to leave off your list that almost made it? You know, I had some that were there in reserve, but, you know, they're they're not that great, and so they didn't qualify. Really? Well, while you look that up again, because I know you closed everything down, I will share with you what almost made my list that came close. The Mask of Zorro, Skyfall, Casino Royale, two other Bond films. The Professional, also known as Leon. Hero, Goldfinger, another Bond film. 13 Assassins, Mission, the first Mission Impossible film. Die Hard, the original. 21 Jump Street, you had that one. I consider that. Baby Driver was oh, that's a good one. choice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my first good choice. Huh? All right. Beverly Hills Cop. The Raid 2. I kind of... Oh, I had The Raid. I'm very surprised neither of those was on your list. Um, Spy, also, I, I consider that. John Wick, also. Salt. A lot of people forget about Salt. Uh, Poor okay, Salt. I'm okay leaving Salt behind. Oh, shame. <laughs> and actually, I thought it was on my list. I thought it made my list because it is one of my favorite franchises. But it didn't quite make it. Fast 5. It's actually kind of hard to decide between Fast 5, 6, and 7 for me. Um, but I would have said Fast Five and committed to that with the same villain in it as in Desperado. For me, it was Sherlock Holmes, Charlie's Angels, Safe House. I have to rewatch Crank before I make a decision. Same, and yeah. my only favorite Western film, really, The Harder They Fall. That was sure. an amazing film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I that mean, that's a- what I had. Yeah, okay. I think you did well. I think you did well. I think we both did. This is a very big genre to try to narrow down, but we did it. And now, Shanna, that about does it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Before we talk about the next episode, why don't you share with people where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography and on Flickchart Spellbinding A. Now, here are all the many ways you can find Jeff. Chiefly, go to thegibsonreview.com, please, by all means, go check that out. Go also look, while you're there, for the Tracy and Hepburn, a review article on the blog. It will be under reviews and features if you do not see it on the main page. Follow on facebook.com slash thegibsonreview, or, more interestingly, on Instagram, the Gibson 99. I do bracket polls there at the time of recording. We're in the middle of figuring out your favorite directorial debuts. We recently completed a poll for your favorite 2004 film, and you guys landed on Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind barely by 0.2% beating out Shaun of the Dead as your favorite 2004 film. Come join us there, the Gibson 99, to join in the fun and for future polls and keep in the loop about this podcast. And you can find me on Flickchart as well, the Gibson 99. All right, Shanna, next time on The Movie Lovers, we think what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the new Michelle Yeoh film. We think we're going to have access to that. It is A24's. Everything, everywhere, all at once. And Film Faves will do our favorite unreliable narrator movies. That will be an interesting exercise. Man, that's going to be a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Get in early on that one. 
Oh, you can look for that on Tuesday, April 12th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye.